This morning we have a guest with us from Peru. I don't. Where do you call a home, Marilee? <laughs> I, I, I knew that, and I knew, I've known others who ended up saying, "Oh, we'll be going back home when they go back to their mission work." And uh, Marilee's been back in the United States on her furlough. Before, well, you got back before Christmas. How long have you been back? Um, I came in May to a medical seminar. Okay, and she's, I think, just a few more weeks, she's going back to Peru. And unfortunately, we couldn't get her DVD to work. And and, and she had a, a, a presentation with some pictures and stuff. But I, I all the more want to encourage you to please, she's got a display back here with pictures and, and, and other things and artifacts. Please, please take the opportunity to, to take a look at those things. And if you have more questions, I know she'll be able to answer them then after the service. So I'm going to ask Mary Lee to come up and, and share with us and uh, give her a warm welcome, please. Hi, everybody. Hi. Hey, this works. Technology. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> this is great to be here. Um, some of you have known me for lots of years, and many of you have known about Wycliffe Bible Translators for a long time. Um, the goal is um, to translate Scripture um, into every language um, in the world. There are um, approximately 7,000 languages spoken worldwide. Less than half of them have Scripture portions published in their language. Um, I do have some visual things that still work. What do you see between the quotes? <laughs> Nothing at all, exactly. Um, that represents um, around 160 million people who have no scripture to quote in their language. This is how the light of the world looks when we have no um, concept of, of Jesus to save us, no word to read. Um, that explains um, salvation to us. Um, in my experience, you want to have light on your trail or on the river, especially if you're traveling at night. And these are folks who don't have light on their trail yet. This one has a candle stub, and it says, Be a light. Um, Jesus is the light of the world, and he even told us that we are. In Matthew chapter four, excuse me, chapter five, verse fourteen. Um, I am a member of a, the medical member of a team of four people, working with a very small language group called the Yorta, in Peru, um, in the Amazon River Basin, where it's hot and humid most of the time. Um, there, did I just say approximately 350 people, a very small group, um, and their language is not at all like Spanish. Um, the Yoda's traditional beliefs were that all spirits were bad. They had no concept, um, as I think some I've heard that some Native American groups in, the, um, in what is now the U.S. and Canada have an idea of the great spirit. They didn't. Um, they knew a whole lot about the spirits that could do them harm. Um, had no concept of worship and uh, rather tried to, to influence the spirits to um, leave them and their families alone. Um, many of the men practiced shamanistic um, rites 
to try to manipulate the spirit world in that way. Um, all illness was thought to be due either to um, a shaman or a curse um, of some sort. Um, on the positive side, we know that we were all created in God's image, and I think every culture has got um, some, some you know, traces of that left despite fallen human nature. Um, they, they, are very, they seem to be very caring people, and they share everything that they have. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> the downside would be that sometimes they care only for those of their own clan, um, and also there tends to be a sense of entitlement that they expect everyone to give them things. Um, so it's a challenge to share the Lord, and you know we're the first translation that they read before they read at all, before they have any of the Bible in their language. They are watching us, and we're talking about a loving spirit that's more powerful than any other and how he loved us so much that he gave his son for us. So our lives need to match up. And across culture, of course, that's very challenging because we don't always give them everything that they want, <laughs> and that can be a problem at times. Um, some of the Yodas are interested in God's word, and there's a little song to the tune of Come and Go With Me to My Father's House, um, that says in Yoda, um, while we are telling God's talk, y'all come and listen. So it goes like this. So you can hear that it's not at all like Spanish, right? <laughs> Different kind of a language. Um, we, uh, in Yoda, there's a word for uh, what is true. They say eco. And the term for believers uh, in Jesus is ikwirawaho, um, those who have said it is true or those who affirm that it's true. Um, traditionally, there was no obligation to tell the truth, to be accurate in conversation, um, but rather to save face by telling people what they want to hear. Um, However, they do have a, cons a very strong um, grasp of accuracy in aiming at a physical target um, because they hunt and fish. Fear not, I will not be aiming at any physical targets. <laughs> <laughs> this is the bow. A little bit taller than me. Um, a man who goes hunting knows which arrow he's going to use for which kind of game. This one has a wooden point on it um, with sort of like a, a long, skinny Christmas tree shape. Um, it's for small game. And I use it to represent um, truth that is easy for the Yoris to, to um, understand. Um, Oh, thank you, Pastor. Appreciate that. Um, they do tend to kind of <laughs> bite the dust pretty often. So, um, let's see. Sorry, I'm get back to my notes so I don't ramble. Um, they, it's easy for them to like the truth that Father God loves them so much um, that He gave um, His Son for them, and um, it's also easy for them to like 
the truth that um, we can pray for healing and for protection. Um, there was, you know, Pastor, is this said about you standing oh, here? Oh, yeah, that's There was, um, just very recently, um, my friend Marianne Lord is the lady that, um, that I work, the colleague I work most closely with, uh, with the other people, and she uh, put out an email saying that a young man named Esteban had a mass um, in his abdomen. It had been detected in uh, one of the jungle towns, and he was sent in um, to the larger town near where we live um, for, to the hospital for surgery. She found him there in the surgical department, and his dad was with him. His dad said, it seems that God helped us. The mass was not to be found. So um, Marianne, of course, was right away able to share that she had put out the email requesting prayer, um, and the Lord uh, did this miracle for them. Um, on the other hand, if the Lord doesn't choose to say yes to a prayer for healing, um, they can get pretty upset, and it's very, a very strong temptation to go to the, to the shamanistic um, witchcraft uh, angle again. Um, here we have another arrow, which is, it's got two um, kind of thorn-looking things on it and a sharp point at the end. This one's for birds. Um, and I use it to represent the, the truths that are um, not as easy for uh, Yoda people to grasp. Um, Jesus has already won the battle in the spirit world, and one of my favorite verses is Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. I brought these along in case of old age. I think I better use them. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Um, Yoras tend to think that all of the the dreams that they remember having have significance. And um, that is one of the ways that God speaks to them. Um, There was a man named White Eye, you know, a man who told me about a dream that he had in which um, there was a temptation and God helped him to get past it. Um, another young man, um, Danielle, was telling his sister and me about a dream that he had where he's being shot at underwater. And his sister immediately said, it means you're going to get sick. Um, but then he persevered and told us the rest of the dream, and he was able to escape and survive and get to the surface. So um, that, was, that spoke to him about God's protection. Um, We have an arrow for large game. It's a bamboo one. Um, If if this one is shot successfully at at a large animal, um, somebody will be bringing a lot of food home um, to share, but it is food that needs to be chewed. So I use it to represent um, another spiritual truth, Um, that God always does the best for us and answers our prayers in a way that glorifies Jesus and brings us closer to him, not always making us feel comfortable in this life, um, 
But, you know, that one, I think, takes some chewing for all of us, doesn't it? Um, John chapter 14, verse 13. Um, Jesus says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's the reason why. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Then um, 1 John chapter 3. Verses 21 to 23, I believe it is. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. This is a war arrow. Um... I use it to symbolize the truth that we are more than conquerors in him who loved us from um, Romans chapter 8, verse 37, and also 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, another favorite um, spiritual warfare verse. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. This is an arrow without feathers. Any idea what this would be used for? It's got three prongs on the end. Exactly. This one is a fishing arrow, and it's fascinating to see um, a man stand in the bow of a boat um, with this arrow on his bow, and um, he's watching. If, if the water's clear enough, he's watching the movement of a fish underneath the water, and he knows exactly when to let go and, and where to aim so that the arrow will penetrate the water and be where the fish is. The fish is not, you know, there yet, but that's where the fish will be when the, when the arrow penetrates. Fascinating. Um, Jesus called his first disciples and told them that they would fish people. And um, we, he, he wants to transform the Yoda people and motivate them um, to share his words with others. Um, Joaquin is one of the Yoda men who has been involved in Bible translation a lot. Um, and his wife said that when he was back in the village, um, she would ask her kids where their dad was, and, he, and, and <coughs> excuse me, um, they'd say, oh, he's preaching at so-and-so's house. Well, he wasn't preaching, but he was sharing um, about Jesus and about what he had learned um, from working um, on the Bible in his language. Um, the first disciples had issues, didn't they? But... Uh, they received power after the Holy Spirit came on them to be witnesses for Jesus. And we pray this for the Yoda people. Um, Pastor mentioned my display table, and I actually think that my funny little two-and-a-half-minute video will play on my laptop at the table um, afterwards if anybody would care to see it there. Um, and as Pastor said, I'd, I'd be glad to answer any questions. I have prayer cards there. We need lots of prayer. And there are picture cards to remind you. Thank you so much. It amazes me to think of the the expertise that's involved with a 
the, the fishing part of that. <laughs> just, I guess I should get that. In an interesting way, before I'm done, you will see that this morning's message will tie into what Marilee had to say and share with us this morning. We're in Romans chapter 12. I mean, <laughs> Matthew chapter 12. I don't even have Romans written down anymore. Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 37. And uh, so, that's, uh, we open the Word, let's pray together. Father, we as we come to your word, we ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds through your Holy Spirit. You would cause us to be able to see those things that we need to walk with a stronger walk and a better testimony, a stronger testimony, and, and a desire, I think of Tozer's words again, a desire to desire you more and a want to want you more. And we commit this time to you as we share in your word, and again, uh, we worship and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, looking at verse 22 of Matthew chapter 12. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter the strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed, he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and the blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its, and, and, and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words... You will be condemned. Those are not easy scriptures to read and to think about. They make you really 
contemplate the things of the Lord, and especially when you hear that there's a sin that's unforgivable. Uh, we normally use the phrase unpardonable sin. And there's, within the framework of the church, the believers, a lot of concern about this. I've had, I, and, and, I, and I, people that I read, whether it be R.C. Sprawl or, 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 or other, other pastors that, that have con, uh, made commentary on these verses, uh, have made the, the statements that, that they've had Christians who have been Christians for long periods of time call them, call them or come to them and say, I need to speak to you. Is it possible that I have committed this? Look, this is what I have done. And uh, it's in various times in history, different things have been called by even parts of the church, leadership in the church occasionally, unpardonable sins. Murder. Adultery. Divorce. And the thing is, is that we have examples of all of those people that have come to the Lord in Scripture. So we know that that, 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 that can't be it. So what is it? Well, hopefully as we get through this, uh, the question, have I, will be answered. And the second question, what is it, will be answered and looked at to some degree of closure for you. Uh, I, I wrote here in my, even my notes, go simple, go complex. You, there are books written, literally hundreds of books written on this subject. And there are a lot of different conclusions. But I feel that if you go simply through this, you'll catch the gist and the general picture of what Jesus is making uh, clear here. First off, we need to look at the, the, the setting. Verse 22 makes it very clear. Jesus is healing a, a, a demonically possessed person. The person is blind and he is mute. He can't speak. He can't see. Apparently, these are manifestations of this possession. Because when Jesus heals him, he can speak and he can see. So this is the situation. Jesus has healed this blind, mute person, literally delivered him of a demonic possession. The response of the people as part of this picture, they were amazed. I mean, this is probably someone that they have known for a period of time, uh, maybe before and, and after his possession, you know, meaning during his possession. But the reality is, is that they know who he is, and the fact that he can see and speak right now has opened their minds. They're just saying, whoa. They are amazed. They're set apart in a sense of, who is this man? Uh, can this be the son of David? And the way it's put here and is, can this be the son of David, isn't so much a confirmation that, you know, he is something uh, of the, you know, is the Messiah, as much as they realize something supernatural has happened, and they're more questioning in that kind of a perplexed way. Could this be the son of David, the one we've been waiting for? Not making an affirmation that he is, but asking the question, could he be? It's important that you catch that because what they're basically saying is, man, this guy is amazing. Look at what he just did. He might be the person we're looking for. The Pharisees jump on this. 
and, and they, they attacked Jesus. It says, when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it's only by Beelzebul that the prince of demons, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Beelzebul uh, is a term, uh, basically, uh, Lord of the demonic, or Lord, literally, Lord of the flies. Uh, Beelzebul, uh, Beelzebub. There's uh, several different uh, pronunciations and, and spellings of it, but the idea is, is that the one who oversees the demonic world. And so they're saying, no, this man is demonic himself. He uses demonic power to cast out the demons. Now, you've got to grab this right away. Did they say there was no miracle here? They're acknowledging the supernatural has happened. They're giving the credit of this supernatural happening to demonic power. Now, this is the Pharisees. This is the leaders of the Jewish people. The ones who teach, the, the, you know, the rabbis and scribes. Uh, they're the legalistic group that says you must do this and this and this and this. And, uh, there was a, me- a message a couple of weeks ago that was excellent on that in the sense of, of what it was that you know, they were so keep everything by the law, every step. In fact, they figured out how to get around the law by adding a few little things to it. Let's see, where do I call home? Well, I call home where my food is, and, and I can only travel so far on the Sabbath, so I'll put food over here. And now if my food's here, I can travel this far. You know, it's, it's just different ways to get around the rules and, 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 and yet turn around and say, oops, you didn't do this right. Jesus, you didn't keep the Sabbath. Or you haven't fasted. Or you, or you, you made grain. Or you made clay. Or, and you healed somebody. And they're always missing what Jesus has done. Now, remember that Jesus made the claim earlier in, in, in Matthew chapter 12 that, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, meaning he's in charge, he is the Messiah. So they're geared up. What did it say after all that was over was that they were looking for ways to attack him, to actually destroy him. And I think by discrediting his teaching and if given the opportunity, more. And so... Here they are. In fact, they've already said this once before, but this seems to be an escalation of this idea of tying Jesus to the demonic, to be eligible. So these people are amazed. They say, could this be the son of David? And they're saying, no. No, this isn't the son of David. This basically is the son of Beelzebul. That's the implication. And he uses that power to cast out the demonic. So we have the setting here and the response of the Pharisees. No, it couldn't be the son of David. He is demonic. And again, they didn't deny the supernatural. They didn't deny the miracle. So you come to the conclusion that, that you know, do they really believe that Jesus is the demonic? And if they don't, what does that mean? They're being dishonest. They're actually lying. By the way, we'll find as you go through Matthew and as we see at the end, the, the lying is not a problem for them if it protects the, 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 their pharisaical way of looking at things. So, Jesus has a response to them. 
And he simply points out and, and it's, uh, that their argument is absurd. That it's really got a very weak foundation. If Satan, if you're calling me demonic, and you're saying by demonic power I cast out the demons, then what you're saying is Satan is working against himself. And his house is divided. Abraham Lincoln didn't come up with it. The house is divided. What happens when the house is divided? Or it crumbles, it falls, it can't stand. Common uh, colloquialism, the idea of the house divided comes to ruin. And you know, to this day, we still see issues of that. And we see it globally. We've seen it in our history, in our own nation. Uh, a house divided uh, comes to odds with each other. And, and uh, we had a civil war. And so, if, if he's basically saying, if you're saying that I'm, I, I am satanic, casting out Satan from another person, then I'm working against my master. And that is basically an absurd argument because the house divided will, will come to, to, to ruin. He adds, though, very clearly... If the miracle is by the Spirit of God, again, he's taking the, the reality. They have not discounted the miraculous, the supernatural itself. He's saying something supernatural happened. You know it. I know it. They know it. The people know it. So if what has happened isn't from Satan, but is from the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Right? In other words, it's come upon you now. It is here. It has come. It has arrived already. So basically, he's, he's saying, if this is of the Spirit, the kingdom of God is here. And you can see by implication, by the way, is that the kingdom of God is doing what it does. It's working against the enemy, Satan. The house isn't divided at all. It's strong. It's tearing down Satan. It's tearing down his kingdom. Jesus' authority became obvious to, to us in Scripture in the wilderness at his temptation. Satan's downfall was made clear that it was coming. And he worked against it. You remember in, in chapter 8, the two demoniacs that come running out of the tombs across the, the Sea of Galilee uh, when they landed there? Yeah, what, what happened there is most amazing to me because Jesus hadn't even said anything. And you can tell that they recognized he was the Son of God. And they trembled with fear. They were afraid. Jesus has the authority and they know it. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan put it this way, he, he is spoiling Satan's house. Jesus is in the process of spoiling Satan's house. Spoiling his efforts, spoiling his works. So Jesus comes to, in, at verse 29 and says, this is what happened, basically. 
then let's look at verse 29 again. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? We know that Satan has power. We know that he's, he's a strong adversary. If I have done this by the, Holy, by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the kingdom of God is upon you, therefore, you know, I've come into the strong man's house. And I've spoiled it. That's why G. Campbell Morgan used that term. I've spoiled it. I am stronger than the demonic. I can bind Satan. I think that's a powerful picture. He's saying, you know, your argument is ridiculous. Satan casting out Satan doesn't make sense. What does make sense is the kingdom of God is here amongst you. I have cast them out by the, king, uh, by the Spirit of God. And what that means is that I can enter into the strong man's house because I've already bound him. And we see that, that's why I mentioned chapter 8 of Matthew, we see that when those two demoniacs come out of the thing trembling in fear of Jesus. They know he has the power. I have bound the strong man. I can plunder or spoil his house. Then verse 30. Whoever is not with me is against me. making a very clear statement to the Pharisees here. You're either with me or you're not. By the way, this pretty well throws out the, the idea of neutrality. <laughs> you know, I, you know it, it's you're either with me and confessing me. I am the Son of David. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. You're either with me or you're against me. There isn't an in-between. Early already took us to 1 John chapter 4. and I, but you know, In 1 John chapter 4, the first few verses tells us very clearly that we are to test the spirits of things around us. And and the, and the implication is is that everything has a, a desire to lead you somewhere, whether it's a book or a system or an institute or whatever it is. Test the spirit. Does it confess Jesus Christ come in the flesh, and that Jesus is the Son of God? Does it confess that? If it doesn't, then it's neutral. Is that what it says? No, it says it's the opposite. If it doesn't confess Christ, then it is not with Christ, and therefore it is the opposite. It is the spirit of the Antichrist. That's a harsh statement. Jesus is making strong, very deliberate statements here. There isn't any neutrality. What are we to measure everything by? By Christ and the Word of God. That is our standard. Our tendency, and, and I know because I am as guilty as, as, the, as, as everybody else, is to kind of try to meander somewhere in the middle and, and not get too many people offended over here or over here and try to remain neutral as much as possible. 
We don't want to cause any waves. We don't want to. And what, what Jesus is saying is you're either with me or you're against me. He adds another dimension to that, which ties into the work of mission. He says you're either a scatterer or you're a gatherer. Actually, I reversed them. You're either a gatherer or a scatterer. You are either bringing people to Christ, drawing people to Christ, or you're pushing them away from Christ. One or the other. If you're trying to remain neutral, you are not drawing them to Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that every situation requires us to to be a you know vocal in, in the sense of speaking out, and, and, and there's times and places for everything. Don't misunderstand. We're not to go and hit people over the head with all of this. Paul makes it clear that we're to do this with a sense of tact and decorum and, and dignity and, and, and that even to the point where people see us, even in the community where there is where Christ does not reign in, in, in people's lives, they still look at us and say, we understand and, and respect that person. You know, so... Don't, I, I don't want to get to the point where we're trying to cause friction and war here. But the other side of it is, is when it's necessary, do you, do you stand with Christ or not? Do people know who you are in the sense of your faith? Does your faith speak? Mary Lee just said a few minutes ago that their the first context uh, in, in presenting the gospel that they're going to see is how they, the missionaries, People from from uh, Wycliffe uh, uh, act and and handle and, and meet and greet and take care of and and minister to the people. They have no other context to measure things by. They don't have a written word. They don't have a cultural uh, picture of, of Christianity. So when 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 the missionaries walk into their their area uh, and they they are the only example that they have seen that they're going to be able to understand of Christ. And I can recall. A Sunday school teacher, and this was long before I was ever a Christian, but it was in my grandmother's church. I still to this day remember her comment was, she was talking to third graders. I was mostly dropping crayons out the window into the the vent below the church to see them, you know, melt. But uh, I still remember that she had said that you might be the only Christ or the only Jesus that somebody ever sees. I couldn't figure it out, didn't understand it, and yet, isn't it interesting, I still to this day remember it, and I thought of this lady as I was reading this, <laughs> you know, was, you know, I hadn't thought of her probably for 40 years, but she cared. She was concerned about my soul. She was a gatherer. She was one drawing. She was not pushing. And, and so this picture of, of people who are gathering or scattering is really important. You're either with me, you're gathering, or you're against me, you're scattering. You're pushing them away. The Great Commission. Go out to the world and draw people to me. Make disciples. Draw people to me. Baptizing and then teaching them about me. Very clear message that Jesus gives. We're either with Him or we're not. 
We're either drawing them to Jesus or we're pushing them away. And then we come to the unforgivable sin. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. When we think of blasphemy, we normally think of it in a more general context. Uh, a swear word is a blasphemy. Taking the Lord's name in vain, we will use. Which means using God's name as an explanation other than in worship. Blasphemy, according to uh, J.F. Walbert, is, is, is blasphemy is the opposite of worship. One commentator went as far as to say a common phrase today, OMG. Oh my God. It's a subtle blasphemy. Yet it's a cultural thing. If you ask somebody what OMG means and they're a Christian and they have a chance to think, they say, oh my gosh. Or oh my golly, if you're old. But we know that that was the euphemism initially was, oh my God. In other words, to be amazed at something or, or, you know, to be awed about something or to, ex, you know, put an exclamation mark at something. But the blasphemy that's being talked about here isn't what we would normally call it or the opposite of worship or praise, but it's profaning God's name in the sense of, 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 of a more specific, attributing to Satan what is accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the question is, had these guys done that or were they close to it? There's arguments all around that. But let me point something out. Going clear back to Isaiah chapter 5. Now this is one of the things about Pharisees. Isaiah is their book. And as soon as he said, you're either with me or you're, or you're not, they would catch this. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Isaiah 5.20 Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe is a sense of, oh, you're in dangerous ground here. There's a few other woes that go there. And Jesus uses, you know, this, this idea is, is, is here, I believe, as he puts this forth. G. Campbell Morgan, again, one of his points was, if they haven't committed the unpardonable sin, they were close. Then Jesus, and we're going to move ahead here quickly, then Jesus gives them another picture in reference to how to look at this. A tree. A tree is either good and it has good fruit or it's make the tree bad and it has bad fruit. For the tree is known by its fruit. 
what Jesus says next. Paul has said once, or John the Baptist has said once already. Jesus will say this again in chapter 23. You brood of vipers. This is a, well, for lack of better words, a, a, an insult to their lineage. <laughs> you want to know who house is leaning towards the satanic and the serpent, it's yours. You're progeny. You're, you, you are a brood. You come from the vipers, the most deadly of the, of the serpents that they, he, you know, in that area. And, 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 and the idea is that's where your lineage comes from. Some people say he was just insulting them. I don't think Jesus casually insulted anybody. He was telling them something. He said, you're calling me the demonic. Let me tell you where this rides. You are accusing the Holy Spirit working in me as demonic. That is demonic. You brood of vipers. You children of serpents. You know, Jesus in John 8 makes it real clear. He says, if you, if you, if you were really the children of Abraham, you would know me. And receive me. But because you're not, your father is the devil. You're either with me or you're against me. It's a harsh statement. Like I said, when you look at it in 23, chapter 23, verse 33, it's even harsher as he builds it up. You family of snakes. You are evil and can't even speak the truth. And your mouth represents where your heart is. A good person speaks from good treasure. An evil person speaks from evil treasure. Your mouth reveals the heart. Does that mean that every time we make a... a, a, a Point where you 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 fall off track and you you maybe just slammed the your hand in the car door and an explanative comes out and that that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is the way you reason things out is based on how you see the world from your heart, and the way you guys see the world is not God's way. Then he adds one more picture here. For every careless word that comes out of your mouth, you will be judged. I thought, just the Pharisees, right? But you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you go to the chapter 3, verses 10, it talks about the reality that we as Christians are going to be held accountable as well. And I think this is a general picture. Yes, the Pharisees. But I think we'll all be held accountable for the words that come from our mouth. And, you know, the idea of, of, you know, do we speak things that would draw people towards Christ or do we speak things that would push people away from Christ? Does our lifestyle example be something that people would look at and say, oh, that's a Christian way of, of, of being? Or would they look at that and say, oh, that's just like the world? 
the way the world talks and acts? Do they see something distinctive? Well, Jesus said the first distinctive that we were supposed to have is that, you will know, that they will know you are Christians by the way you love each other. So within the framework of the church, are we showing that? And it goes on from there. Do we, do we come together to sing and joy together? Do we, do we come together to minister one to another? Do we come to meet each other's needs? Because that's pictures of, of all of those are pictures of what Christ has done with his servant heart and his servant life. It's interesting. As Jesus gets through all of this, the Pharisees' responses, well, give us a sign. But we'll get to that next week. Look at what they've just seen. All that they have seen. Going back to chapter 9, through all of those things, the miracles that they've seen. And here we are. Give us a sign. Jesus has just told them very clearly who he is. He's made it very clear that he has got power over Satan. He has plundered his home. And they are giving the glory, if you will, of that miracle to the demonic. So that the people will not follow after him. You see, it comes back to, they said, could this be the son of David? And they don't want anybody to think that. So they said, no, Beelzebul. Satanic power. They were trying to what? Discredit, destroy, following through on what they had already decided that they were going to do. The teachings of Jesus and ultimately Jesus himself. And we realize that this, this took us clear to the cross with false witnesses that they went and got to accuse Jesus so that they could try him. And they, they, they even broke the, their own laws at the point that they tried him, the way they did it and the timing that they did it. And they joined hands with, with, with Pontius Pilate. To say, crucify him. The interesting thing is that not at any of those times, never was Jesus at their mercy. He was in control the whole time. You see, he was a willing sheep. He was willing to go to the cross. He was a willing sacrifice. He was silent. He didn't make a big defense for himself. He didn't draw attention to himself. He simply went and quietly, if you will, to the cross so that he could take care of business in plundering Satan's house once and for all with the words, it is finished. What an amazing picture. And every time we take communion together, we celebrate that along with the resurrection and the promise that He's coming again. I'd ask the ushers to come and pass the communion out and hold it until we've all been served and we'll share together.
sought to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for his life he died. Elect from every nation, yet one for all the earth, her charter of salvation. One Lord, one faith, one birth, one holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food, and to one hope she presses with every grace and truth. Mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her walls, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore, till with the vision glorious her longing eyes are blessed, and the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took two very common things, bread and wine, and turned them into the symbols that would represent his death, burial, and resurrection until he and, and, and his return, until he returns. He asks us that we would share the bread and share the wine in his name until he comes again. In fact, he went as far as to say, I won't share this again until I return. And so we have a point in time where we're going to do this with him. One, I, I believe it's the marriage feast myself, and, and, and it's going to be an awesome day. And we're going to share it as the church all at one time together. That means the people that have gone ahead of us, they have one thing to look forward to in the sense of that is yet to happen. The resurrection and the marriage feast. We're going to share that all together. And Jesus said the significance of this bread is he, after He'd given thanks and, 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 and blessed it and given thanks and, 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 and broke it, He said, this is My body broken for you. 
as often as you do this, he said we need to do it in remembrance of him. His word tells us at the end of that meal that he took the cup, the cup of wine. He said, this is my blood that is poured out for you. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me until I come again. Father, we, we thank you we come to what we traditionally call your table, to the Lord's Supper, that we can together and individually come to you asking for your grace and your mercy. You tell us if we've sinned to ask you for forgiveness and you are faithful to forgive us. We ask, Lord, that you would create in us clean hearts. But Father, we also come with a sense of, of celebration together to know that the God of all creation loves us so much that this sacrifice of the cross was made. Thank You for going to the cross, choosing the cross, and the words that is finished that we might know sin has taken has been taken care of for all who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we ask, Father, that you would go with us and not only look to our missionaries and 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 pastors and, and leaders in the church to be the people who gather, but that we would all be gatherers in our lifestyle and the way we think. And Lord, where we're weak, we ask You would make us stronger. Where we're falling short, we ask that You would move us ahead and help us to be stronger and stronger and stronger for You. We worship You. We praise You. We thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen.